What's up, my brothers and sisters? Welcome to the Fireground Fitness Podcast, where we talk about all things pertaining to life on and off the fireground. The views and the opinions expressed are those of the guests and your host. Today, we have a brother by the name of Sean Gray. He is a fire captain out of Cobb County, Georgia. He is the founder of Stop Believing, Start Knowing. And we have a a great conversation about uh, all that and so much more. We talk about uh, fire behavior, fire dynamics, and the operational context in which we find ourselves. It's a very informative, very enjoyable episode. Please enjoy. Sean, thank you so much for taking the time. I know you're in a hotel room and you're on the road and all that, and I appreciate you taking the time to sit and uh, and chat with uh, myself and our audience out there. So thank you for, for taking the time to, to sit and, and join me. Oh, man, I'm happy to be here. I um, I love telling our uh, our origin story because we have the same name, Sean Gray, Ray, and I'm Rain Gray, as you might know. And uh, I love the fact that... Uh, I feel like, and tell me if I'm crazy, I, I don't feel like there's a lot of grays out there. No, there's not. I'm the only uh, gray in, in my department out of 800 firefighters. So, yeah, yeah, and that's the same here. Same here. I'm uh, Out of however many we have, 16, almost 1,700. Um, yeah, same thing. I feel very unique. And so I ran into you many years ago, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, a brother from another that's mother. That's right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I, I love that. So, Sean, um, that being said, that's where our relationship ends. But... Uh, so tell me, tell me a little bit about your where you grew up and stuff, and I want to hear your origin story, and I definitely want to talk about some fire behavior stuff. Um, but before we do all that, I want to hear more about a little bit about you and your background. Yeah, man. So let's see. I uh, grew up in Southern California as a surfer kid and uh, grew up about uh, 20 miles from the beach, um, just on the edge of Orange and Riverside County. So if you uh, know or are familiar with Los Angeles, mm-hmm. um, I grew up in a town called, uh, well, I was born in Long Beach and then um, grew up in a town called Norco. Um, that's pretty much where I went to school and then I graduated from high school in 1990. And uh, from there, man, direct, I went to, um, immediately went into community college and got my EMT. And uh, I think I was an EMT by like January of 91. So like within the first six months of community college out of high school, I was already working as an EMT on an ambulance, started running 911 calls. And that's where I kind of fell in love with the fire service. And I was like, hey, I want to be a firefighter. So what prompted uh, you? Okay. First of all, by the way, I graduated in 90 also. Um, We are way more connected than I even realized. (laughs) (laughs) So what prompted you go down? What prompted you to take an EMT? Uh, You know, so... um, it was one of those things where my parents actually got a divorce my senior year of high school and uh, I had been accepted to, uh, to USC and uh, my plan was I was going to go to medical school and uh, I kind of just wanted to be a doctor and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when my parents got a divorce, I like, I didn't really know how college was going to work anymore. I was like, mm. how's that funding going to work? Who's paying for it? All that kind of thing. So I was like, whatever, I'll just do the community college thing at first. So um, a guy who actually works in Southern California um, and uh, down in San Diego County, he said, Hey man, why don't you come over and, uh, check out this volunteer fire department thing. And, uh, so I went over and, um, to the volunteer, what was a pay call position for Cal for Cal fire. Well, what is Cal fire now? It was, uh, oh shoot, I forget the, the name of it then, but, um, it's the Cal fire station now. So hmm. they, uh, so I went over there to, to check it out, to see what it would be like to be a pay call firefighter. And, uh, just went on the meeting night. It was like a Wednesday night or whatever. And, uh, I'm going to start talking to the guys and the guy's like, Hey, if you really want to be a firefighter, you need to be an EMT. 
like one of the guys working. So that I, that I signed up for EMT class, like very first semester. So, huh. um, and, uh, yeah, so that's kind of that, you know, what got me into it, the roots and origins of it. And so I think I did that pay call firefighter thing for maybe like six months. And then once I got my EMT, uh, moved to Newport beach with my buddies where I lived for 10 years in Newport and, uh, worked in orange County on an ambulance. And then, um, in 93, wow, significant uh, commitment. You were there yeah. for quite a while. Oh yeah. No. Yeah. I was there for a long time. So, but that's when I started, um, like trying to get a job and all that kind of stuff. Right. So, yeah. um, so I was there and, uh, went through fire Academy in 93 and, uh, then you I got hired for Cal fire. Nope. And, uh, I went to fire Academy for, um, with Foothill fire Academy and, uh, just trying to get a job. So, you know, there's all those little local college uh, academies that are in Southern California. Oh, copy. So you're doing kind of like the yep. firefighter one and two training with the yep. community college. So I did, did firefighter one and two training. And then, um, I got on with, uh, Los Alamitos fire and, uh, the arm at the armed force reserve center. And I was working there as a part-time firefighter. And then from there, I got hired by the city of Linwood fire department in 94. Yep. 94. And, uh, so I worked for Linwood from 94 to 97 and that's when I got laid off because they became Los Angeles County fire department. Oh my goodness. And, uh, the station that I worked at is now LA County 147th. And, uh, so I went back into the testing process and, uh, was on LA city's list and all just, you know, a million different tests actually came out, took Phoenix tests. Um, and so I, I was all over the place. I went to Seattle yeah. and uh, the typical Southern California, just the whole Western coast thing, yeah, the whole West coast thing. So yeah. tested everywhere. Right. Mm. And, uh, so then I started working, I'd, I'd been through paramedic school and I uh, went to Daniel Freeman paramedic school and, uh, Finished up my paramedics, so I started working at AMR in Ventura County, um, 911, as a medic. And then, uh, man, I got sent out. I met a girl, and she was moving to Atlanta, and I went with her. And so that was in 99, and uh, I'm no longer with that girl. She left and went back to California soon after me getting <laughs> and to Atlanta. Left, and left you in Georgia. <laughs> yep, but, uh, so, but I went to Atlanta and found out, like, it's actually really easy to get a job. Like, so I, I transferred with AMR ambulance and they transferred me out there huh. and uh, so it was like they paid for me to move and everything oh, sweet nice. gig nice yeah so uh, yeah so i got out to um atlanta and then uh started i my current fire department cobb county fire department is who i had initially tested with because everybody's like hey that's the department that you want to work for in the atlanta area yeah I'd done my research and that kind of stuff so i went and took their test first and then while working on the ambulance i'd maybe been there like two or three weeks um, I meet another fireman in an emergency room and, uh, we just start chatting about, and I was like, yeah, I'm not trying to get a fire department job. And he's like, Hey, why don't you come check out the Clayton County fire department? And I'm like, where the hell is Clayton County? He's like the airport. It's right here in Atlanta. Huh. So I'm like, okay. So dude, like make a phone call and he tells me, it gives me a chief's name and I call her. Um, and she's like, can you come take a written test? And all literally the entire process for Clayton County fire department happened in like 10 days. Oh, wow. Like, that seems and really, I gotta, and, really unusual super unusual I mean, like and, and i went to hr and took a written test yeah and i sat and waited until the guy graded it and then she called <laughs> and then he called called the chief and said oh she wants to go see you now chief ferroni wants to see you now so i went over there and met her and sat in her office and stuff like that and she's like can you be here um in three days for a oral interview and i was like uh yeah sure and so i kind of just i think i got lucky and kind of jumped in the middle of the process because they had a bunch of other people um and so yeah man so i, I ended up getting hired there and uh it was um, that the south side of Atlanta is a pretty rough place. So um, very mm. poor, uh, lots of fire duty and uh, similar to south central Los Angeles. So 
Um, my first two departments were places that I got to see a lot of fire. And, um, but uh, being a medic and working for Clayton County Fire Department, they have ambulances, which you guys know all too well. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, so I spent a lot of time with the ambulance as a medic, even though it's kind of a sweet gig for firefighting because you, um, you basically get in there on a hand line like immediately and then the chiefs are trying to get you in service, you know? And uh, <laughs> so, you, so you do one bottle and then you're out and uh, back around the EMS calls again. So, yeah. um, there's a lot of guys that work down there that really like that, but, um, I kind of want to be there for the whole process if I can, you know? So, yeah. Um, yeah, so I took an opportunity and did a lateral transfer. I worked there for five years and I took an opportunity to lateral transfer to uh, Cobb County. And I actually turned down the job with Cobb because I'd gotten hired at Clayton. Because oh. I was just like, hey, I'm, I'm pretty happy here. I'm good. I've been here like six <laughs> months. And Cobb called and I turned it down. And then five years later, I did a lateral test with Cobb and went over there. So um, nice. now I've been there uh, 18 years. So and I can re- I can retire in six. Nice. Yeah. That's awesome, man. Cool. What a how do you what do you think so let's talk about the hiring process for a second what was the the real difference from that west coast is it just the numbers of bodies competing for you know a smaller yeah. you know a number of slots like relatively speaking compared to so in numbers of bodies and nobody in, uh in georgia like you just gonna have you just gotta be 18 years old and have a driver's license uh-huh. we're in california guys are you know going to fire academy paramedic school they're doing everything you know i mean so going to become bilingual yeah, it's super competitive. You're trying to get all these things, got to get your college degree and all that. Yeah. Not like that in Georgia at all. There's just not that, not the same amount of interest in firefighting. Yeah. And well, how- uh, so, yeah, so just kind of crazy thing, man. We're, uh, you know, so I show up out here, out in Georgia, and it's like, I was like a rock star coming yeah. from my training, my training in Southern California. Yeah, your docket is, you know, yeah, inches thick, right? Yeah. A huge book of stuff you've yeah. done. What, how do you yeah, like? So, uh, how do you enjoy living in in Georgia comparatively to the West Coast? Like that's a big that's a big life change. Yeah, huge life change. Um, I still miss the ocean, and uh, yeah. but that's about it, man. You know, other than uh, the missing the surfing part is, uh, and I still get to do that a couple times a year. Go out there. My parents still live out there, so um, I go visit and get in the water as much as I can, and um, or travel and, and surf. So. Um, I still get a feel for it, but, um, it's, uh, <laughs> Atlanta's a big city, so it's, it's pretty similar to Los Angeles I and mean, it's not nearly the size, but the metro area is still massive. Urban. Um, and, uh, yeah. So yeah, I mean, our, our department, you know, people are like, well, where's Cobb County, Georgia. The, so Georgia is an interesting place. Georgia has 159 counties. And, um, so it, all of the Georgia counties were founded by a one day mule ride. From county seat, county seat. Okay. So was it was so that was that? At, this is going to sound. My question is: was it was that by design? Well, I, I mean, this is like the 1700s, I guess, right, or, or like <laughs> early 1800s. So I think that yeah, that's kind of what they decided. Like these are the the lines that we're going to break things up. And when they're founded, Georgia. Yeah. So the topography. Yeah. So if you look at the county and the sizes of them, the counties are smaller in northern Georgia because it's more, you start to get into the Appalachian Mountains and stuff. Ah, um, yeah, and so, yeah, so it's, it's a little bit difficult, more difficult topography. And if you go down to South Georgia, there's farms and it's flat. And uh, as you get into Florida, so um, the counties are much bigger in, uh, in South Georgia. Yeah. yeah. Oh, so, cool. So, um, so with that, that creates a weird fire department makeup. Um, because Metro Atlanta is huge. There's uh, there's like 10 Metro departments total, 
and uh, all of us are the same size. We're all about 30 stations. We all have right about eight, between 800 and 1,000 firefighters mm. from the city of Atlanta is the same size as Cobb County. So, you know, you think that Cobb County is some kind of like little rural place and it's not like – you know where i work we have high rises and uh the brave stadium was in my first dude so mm. um yeah so it's a busy urban place and uh um but yeah it's it's good it's uh the we're to the northwest suburb of um of atlanta and uh you know we got it's a good place to work good government has lots of money home depot corporate office world headquarters is, is here um so that's nice it's a good thing yeah do you get a good deal on lumber <laughs> because of proximity <laughs> you know we uh we run a fire conference and uh, me and my buddies uh had a fire conference a metro Atlanta firefighter conference that we started over 10 years ago now yeah and uh and we always tried to hit up home depots to see if they would help us and we never got hooked up oh, <laughs> but we're like you're we're right here in your backyard you know they're like yeah. oh, we'll make a donation like yeah, but it wasn't like what we wanted. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's always it's always hard walking in with your hands out looking for support, uh, headquarters or not. I'm sure headquarters is probably actually more more reluctant to support you guys than uh, if it was like the local Home Depot. Yes, no, for sure. Oh, that's awesome. So tell me a little bit about you get these major metro cities are all very similar in size. How do you, do you guys do mutual aid or automatic aid? Like how do you guys knit together? Yeah, so we have there is a mutual aid system, Georgia Mutual Aid Group, but um, we're every department's big enough that we don't really, we never cross the line. Like we, we may see a city of Atlanta engine, like on the interstate, mm-hmm. you know, where I work cause I'm right on the border. Mm-hmm. Um, and like they may become a one direction and we're going the other direction if it's something that's like right at the line. Mm-hmm. But that's really about it, man. We rarely, um, have to use anything. So I mean, you know, like when the riots were happening in Atlanta, like, you know, of course that they called Cobb. So we sent down, we sent a strike team down there mm-hmm. uh, when, when they started burning the city and stuff like that. And that's only uh, from like my station. That's only like, I think eight and a half miles to where those fires were. So oh, not wow. too far. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, so it's uh so yeah, we do help each other, but the departments are big enough that we don't need it. You know, everybody's got their own technical rescue teams, their own hazmat teams. Um, so yeah, pretty much I, in yeah. our neck of the woods, there's a lot of, uh, uh, sharing of apparatus when it comes to like uh, sending the most appropriate, the nearest appropriate response. So right. it's it's interesting on those border the border areas where it's just an automatic. The city next door will automatically backfill for a call as needed. You know. Yeah. Our, so we have a, we have uh, in Cobb County. There's technically 43 firehouses, but our fire department only makes up 30 of them um mm-hmm. because we have a couple of cities that uh that are in our county mm-hmm. and uh, we border we are all around them so the city of marietta fire department has six stations and we run automatic aid with them so they're on oh, our same dispatch okay yeah so actually where i work my we run more with engine 55 than we do with with our other cobb county guys so we right. have a pretty good relationship with the city of marietta fire department right next door oh that's um, cool but uh yeah so so we do have some sort of relationships but then there's like the city of smyrna and um and they they they're not on the same dispatch and they rarely call us they 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 call us when they're burning down an apartment building and they need help right. <laughs> they need more ladder trucks right so because right. they only have one ladder truck they have five stations and one truck so right well and that's yeah. where it works really good when you have jurisdictions that are a little smaller and they don't have the resources available to them right like not everybody can have you know multiple ladder companies and and you know or technical rescue or what have you so having that type of uh relationship nearby and uh you know igas and all the other stuff that goes along with that is uh is really cool when it works out when the politics are good and everyone's healthy um 
you know, in that kind of way, it's nice to have that kind of support for one another. It's cool. Yeah. No, for sure. Yeah. And it's, I know at the, uh, you know, back in the olden days, uh, there was a lot of, uh, controversy when it came to competing engine companies, et cetera. I think, uh, the fire service has come a long way, uh, in that regard, you know, yeah, there's still a little bit of animosity with, with city of Smyrna. I think, um, they should probably use us and call us more, but I think that's actually starting to get better. Um, you know, I, I've, I'll hear, you know, us, our dispatch will send people to go stand in, in the city of Smyrna if they have a fire. And that mm-hmm. used to not even, that didn't ever happen. Mm. So, so we're starting to backfill some of their stations and that kind yeah. of stuff if they have yeah. a fire, but, um, which is, then I would say that that's more common now in the last six months. And I think it's just because of, um, some of those old heads have started to retire and right. there's a new guard that's come in and, um, and, you know, and this friendlier towards yeah. each other. So, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's great. Well, hey, man. So the um, I love uh, that the uh, what you talked about with um, you know the fire conference that you guys are doing. I want to hear a little bit more about yeah. that. And I I know that uh, the way that you and I got introduced was um, you know our agency started doing some fire behavior, uh, some exploration yep. into fire behavior, and we realized that the man the fire service was. Uh, taken off and that UL and NIST and everybody was, was digging into the modern fire environment. And, um, and I, and I stumbled across some stuff that you were putting out and um, yep. I'm like, Hey, we got to call this guy. <laughs> so we chatted yeah. and, um, and I want to hear a little bit about how you ended, how you got into the fire behavior and, um, and what led you down that road. Sure. So, um, really, man, it was a near miss incident for me and, uh, that's what got me so passionate. So, I, at the time, so this has been 15 years ago now, so I was a three-year firefighter in Cobb County. And um, so coming in with 10 years' experience, um, coming to Cobb with 10 years' experience as a firefighter, hmm. um, riding backwards still, I kind of had an idea of what I was doing. But, um, man, I mean, you know, back in the day, like, we first got hired, like, mm-hmm. the, there was nobody talking about that stuff, nobody talking about door control or, <laughs> or any of those things. No, kick and, the door, uh, drag the hose, right. squirt the water, boom. <laughs> right. That's out. exactly. And you just learn from the guy that, you know, the captain that you were first under. So, yeah, yeah. um, and so my, my first captain in Linwood, like I, he could have been the, you know, I don't really know now. Like I think about him, like he could have been a total dumbass and I just followed <laughs> along because that's the way that things had always been done. And, um, and, but he didn't know any better either because the people that taught him that, and that, so that's kind of what really got me engaged. So, um, so this fire that I had, um, I'm riding uh, back step and I uh, got a, uh, a rookie firefighter has not had a fire yet. This is his first fire. And uh, he was a police officer that came over from into the fire department, transferred over. And uh, so we, you know, pull up and got uh, heavy, heavy black smoke coming out the front door. And uh, there looks like a the thermal column that's on the Charlie side and appears that the fire is in the back of the structure. Hmm. And um, so, we stretch the line and uh, the officer gets off and very disengaged officer, like not getting dressed. Like, you know, it just has their pants on, no air pack. Mm. Um, and they go do the walk around. They come back around and I'm like, Hey, where do you want the line? And they're like, got the front door. I'm like, okay, front door. So put the line up and get to the front door line gets charged. And I'm like, all right, man, let's go in. Well, I remember thinking at the time, like, man, this kid's got a really good fire. Like my first fire was like a trash can fire or some crap like that, you know, but yeah. this was a really, really good fire. Like the neutral plane I, had dropped down to the door can and I, like, we had to go in low. It was, it was rocking. Can I just say, I, this is what I love about fire service culture. You're stretching the line, getting ready to make entry into fire. And all you can think about is how this kid is getting a better first fire <laughs> than you were getting. 
<laughs> I love yes. that. Yes. Yeah, no, that's exactly it. I was like, God, this is a great fire. And uh, so, um, yeah, so we get to the front door and um, it's hot, man. We get a couple feet in and it gets, it's very hot. And so I tell him, like, hey, open up the line, open the line. And, you know, tell him to just start flowing water because I'm thinking that maybe it's like a big vaulted, um, like living room. We have the way our uh, construction is, we have like big, large open living rooms and stuff in these weird kind of cut up houses. Mm. Um, so that's kind of what the construction looked like from the outside. So I told him to just start flowing water. Could had no idea, didn't see a glow, couldn't see anything. So the officer wasn't coming in with us. The officer's just hanging out out front. So, um, so anyways, we start to push mm. in a little bit more and we push in probably maybe five more feet and it is like unbearably hot now. And I'm just like, open the line up, like flow water, still could not see a glow. And um, really what happened was, is we were in the exhaust portion of the flow path. Right. And um, so it was the whole back of the house was burning and, uh, and the fire was coming through like a, all the whole kitchen was on fire, but we never made it to that kitchen door. And that's where the, that, and it was just filling that entire living room with the smoke and pushing out that front door. So anyways, it, it was so hot that I, literally i thought my i had not pulled up my hood because my ears were burning i thought like shit what the hell is going on mm. and so i reached up to feel my ears and thought my hood wasn't on but it was on and uh so i just kind of had this gut feeling man like not a good feeling at all and i'm like you know what we need to this is guys this is guy's first fire i don't have an officer in here with me we need to back out so and uh, real quick so, question was he on yeah. the nozzle or was he behind you? oh yeah no on the nozzle he okay. was on the nozzle yeah so that's kind of how we do things. The senior guy, um, yep. let you always let the new guy take the nozzle. So yeah. we're very, we um, do very similar yeah, approach. Yeah. So, I mean, because when you think about it, like that's really kind of the other, if he's not flowing water, that's the only thing that can go bad <laughs> for him. Right. Right. Cause the guy that's in the back really needs to move the hose needs right. to watch out for things that are happening that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah. So, so I, you know, tell him, Hey, let's, let's get out of here. Like, you know, turn around and go back outside. So, as soon as we come out, I mean, we walk out the front door and all of those, all that smoke lights off. Mm. So like burned up the back of my helmet, burned up the back of my gear, like air pack, just roasted us. And as we were coming out the front door, yeah. so chief's there now. And, uh, he's like, Hey, fire tech one, you should take your line around the Charlie side. So I'm like, okay. So we stretch our line around the Charlie side and get back there. And I'm like, Holy cow. So if you ever come to the, uh, come to my class attack from the burn side, mm -hmm. that's the title slide is my, is that photo that's up oh, there. That's cool. the fire. And, um, so this, this place is burning the whole back of this place is burning. And, uh, one of our like fire marshals or something is where I got the photo from. He was like lived on that street and was like at home for lunch. Oh, and uh, so, yeah, Perfect. so he was like there taking pictures in the backyard. And um, so, yeah, so we come around the uh, the backside, the whole thing's burning. So I call the chief, I'm like, hey, we're going to need actually a two and a half back here. That's how much fire we have. Um, so as I'm standing out there on the exterior and we're putting water on it, I'm starting to think like, why in the hell did we try to go through the front door? Like, I was just thinking like, the fire's right here. Like, what what happened there? What was the thought process? So then we got back to the station and uh, and I asked the officer, like, Hey, you know, I got a question. Like, why'd we go to the front door? And they're like, Oh, because we you got attacked from the unburned side. Mm -hmm. And that was in that was in the books, man. That's what yep. that's and that's all that officer knew. Like that's what they had studied and got promoted. And um, and so I just had a lot of questions. And uh I think because my son was um was a baby and I had my first son, my first baby boy at home, mm. that really, really got me thinking, like, holy shit, that was really bad. Like things could have gone 
really, really wrong right there. And you got a new baby at home and, um, it kind of changed me a little bit. You know, I think I was a salty, tough guy fireman before that fire. And, uh, and then things started to change when you have that little guy and, uh, and yeah. having something like that makes you think some more. So, so from there, man, um, that answer, I didn't like that answer about the unburned side thing. So I just kind of started digging in and I found all this NIST research about fires. And, um, that was kind of like when the wind driven fires had just been getting started. And, um, so I, I just Googled searched all this stuff and started reading and got super engaged in the fire service. And, uh, then Bill Gustin from Miami, he actually came to our department. And, uh, so we asked to have him to our station for dinner. And, um, so he, you know, came, he was doing three days at our department type of thing. So he comes to my firehouse and sits down. And um, at that time I had been promoted to engineer and, uh, it was a couple, it was a year or two after that fire. And, uh, Bill Gustin sits down. He's like, man, I was, you know, I was looking riding around and man, you guys have a lot of fires that start on the outside that start on these back decks. Mm, He's like, mm-hmm. that's like a ton of your fires. And so we're like, yeah, but one of the guys is like, Hey, yeah, great. Tell him about your fire. So I tell him the story that I just told you. Yep. And uh, he's like, man, you should write an article about for fire engineering. And I'm like, <laughs> what? Like, um, who, who am I? I'm like a driver in Cobb County, Georgia. Like, what do I know about writing an, an article? And uh, he's like, no, I'm serious. You know, so we exchanged email addresses and stuff like that. And sure enough, if you know Bill Gustin, um, he's a fiery old dude. And uh, he emailed me like a week later. Like, I just kind of like, you know, took it a shop talk and didn't think he was serious. <laughs> he's like, where's and my like, article? <laughs> That's exactly it. So like a week later, he's like, hey, so have you gotten started yet? That's great. And I was like, shit, this guy's serious, you know? <laughs> so, um, yeah. So anyway, so I started putting some stuff down on paper and basically telling the story and um, writing that story out to make it make sense. And then I found all kinds of stuff that really started to things that Andy Frederick had wrote from the nineties, um, talking about water onto the base of fire and that type of stuff. And then adapting some of the research to that, that, mm-hmm. um, then, so that's where it came from, man. So the original article is called attack for the burn side can save lives. And, uh, and I talked about multiple, uh, line of duty incidents and near misses around the country from fires that started on the outside and where people went and attacks from the unburned side. Mm-hmm. And um, so, yeah, so I just use those as examples in the article and, um, and again, I got published and next thing you know, I go up to FDIC with a, uh, our current training chief. He was the first one from our department to teach at FDIC. And uh, he was, you know, at the time he was a lieutenant and I tagged along with him up to FDIC. And I'm like, oh man, this is awesome. You know, if you've never been to FDIC, like you got to go because that's like, that's the place. And yeah. so, um, yeah, so it just opens your eyes and you're just like, oh my God, this is amazing. And uh, so much education. And um, so, yeah, so I went up there the first year and uh, and then, then he talked to me, he's like, hey man, you should teach a class up here. And I'm like, I had never really developed a PowerPoint, ever really taught classes in the past. I mean, yeah. I taught like CPR and stuff like that, but never really, I didn't have a background in instructing. So, yeah, so I, you know, based the class off of that article and then, um, and then that's it, man, the rest is history. And now it's a... Uh, 10 years I've been teaching at FDIC um, and uh, five, five of those we did hands-on and that's where the, the fire dynamics pieces came in because once I had done all the research for UL and I was teaching the class at FDIC, I think it was my second year at FDIC, Steve Kerber came and sat in my class. I had no idea that he was even in Oh, wow. And uh, yeah, so I go to the instructor's room after the class is over and uh, of course I know who he is, you know, so I sit down at the same table where he's at and you know, I'm like, oh, that's a really, that guy's a really big deal. I don't want to talk to him. You know, I was all nervous. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, 
I was sitting there just quiet and stuff like that. And he leans over. He's like, Hey, that was a really good class that you had there. And I was like, Oh man, you were in there. And he's That's like, yeah, awesome. he's like, yeah. So he's like, yeah, it was a really good class. And uh, we actually got a study coming up on, um, exterior fires, exterior and attic fires. And, uh, if you want to be a uh, part of a technical panel, you know, here's my card. And so we exchanged information. Again, it was one of those things where I thought like, okay, yeah, you know, shop talk, like just like Bill Gustin. All right. I don't know, the next thing you know, I get an email from a lady at UL saying, Hey, you've been assigned to be part of this technical panel. And, uh, we, you know, we want you to come to Northbrook, Illinois, which is Chicago. And, uh, yeah. So next thing you know, that's how it all started. And I think I got up there. My, uh, I just kind of spoke up like in the meeting and there's all these like really huge icons of the fire service, like on this technical panel. It's like mm -hmm. Derek Alconis from LA County fire department, mm -hmm. Cirillo and Healy from FDNY and Pete Van Dorp, the training chief of Chicago and David Rose from Atlanta. So all these like really got these huge guys in the fire service are on this technical panel with me. And I'm just like the junior kid, you know, like scared to death. And um, that's how I met PJ Norwood actually, because PJ was on the panel as well. And him and I didn't know anybody. We knew who those people were. And we're like, yeah, we're sitting over on the couch, like waiting, <laughs> waiting for the bus to come pick us up. So that's what we kind of, um, we walk into the meeting room. PJ always tells the story because it's pretty fun. There's this huge boardroom table. And um, so all of those guys, they all like know each other. They're all sitting on one side of the table. So I was like, oh, I don't want to go sit over there. Let's go sit over here, PJ. So PJ and I go to the other side of the table and then Kerber and Majikowski come in and sit right next to us and he's like oh, way to go <laughs> now we're sitting next to Kerber and Majikowski like, oh, we thought we you could know? sit in the corner of anonymity and uh yeah no not so much yep so yeah so um and then man we just conversation started and just like you and I are talking we just started talking fire and so yeah. um and I, I'd been to a bunch of those fires and so I you know I felt like I had really dug in on this topic um and i think they liked what i said and um next thing you know like soon after that probably six months after that first technical meeting i get another email and it says hey uh, we'd like you to attend this thing in jackson hole wyoming and i'm like so i hit up pj and text him like i didn't know we were doing any burns in jackson hole wyoming like what's going on with that and he's like i don't know what you're talking about i didn't get that email and i'm like <laughs> what so i go click on the email list and it's just like it's me and then all of these guys the big fire services all of them all the people that are on the ul advisory board yeah and i'm like holy crap like what is this and so go to jackson hole wyoming and um they they kerber does not let us know what it is at all like really none of us know why we're there and um so i figured i'm just there to talk fire stuff and so the very first day um we uh, had we got to meet in the lobby and meet for breakfast and all that kind of stuff and then we go into the little uh conference room and uh kerber stands up and he said i'd like to introduce you guys you guys are the ul firefighter safety research institute advisory board and uh, i'm going to go ahead and introduce each one of you so you guys don't have to talk about yourselves and he literally went around the room and said why we were there why he chose us to be there oh wow it's very very impressive you know like i'm oh, like what an honor man Oh, oh, dude, I was like, holy crap, this is a big deal, right? So, I mean, I still think it's a big deal. Those guys are, I've been on there now like eight years, and it's like, I mean, I'm still flabbergasted that I'm even part of it, you know? But, yeah. um, oh, so, but it's, it's awesome. good. It's a great, really, really good tight knit group as well. So, we've been together for a long time now, and, uh, we have a huge text group that, you know, that we're all on and, um, text each other all the time and break each other's balls. And, and they're just regular firemen. But, uh, but at the same time, you know, I'm like, in this group of people that are uh, just huge fire service icons. So yeah, yeah. it's cool. Hey, can I, let me just say something that I think is really interesting here is, you know, early, you know, pretty early on in your career, you made a decision to share uh, 
your experience. And I think, you know, we all come on this job and and, and a lot of things that we say is, hey, I'm going to leave it better than I found it. And so I'm impressed by the fact that at a young age you had the, well, I guess you weren't that young on the job, but you had some experience. But, but, you know, you were young in this organization and then you, you, but you opened your mouth and you shared. And that's, that's a big deal because I think a lot of times we kind of hide some of the thoughts and ideas that we have. We don't, we're not willing to kind of put it out there for fear of, of, repercussions or fear of being laughed at or thought silly or whatever. Right. And I think it's a big deal to be able to put that stuff out there. That's, and it has changed um, your participation and uh, you know, with this group of other folks has changed the direction the fire service is traveling in a very, very positive way. Right. And that's, uh, and, and that's, Man, credit for for having the the nuts to uh, you know step forward and, and put yourself on the table and, and put your put your ideas on the table rather and and and, and allow that to be part of the conversation. Big deal, man. So yeah. I appreciate that. No, thanks, man. I appreciate that. And uh, yeah, you know, so far like like being around Kerber, Magikowski, and those guys, they're so smart. I didn't know crap about fire dynamics, like. Like, I don't like, you know, the, we skipped the fire behavior chapter, I think, when I went through recruit school. So I, I don't think remember it was much of a chapter. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> it was like a fire triangle, right? So, right. Convection, <laughs> conduction, and radiation. It was like our eighth grade, eighth grade class type of deal. So, right. um, so I didn't know anything about fire behavior. So, that probably that exterior fire panel meeting, like, I learned that, like, I really have no idea what these guys are talking about. Like, they're so far above what I, what my head. And uh, so I started digging in a lot of that stuff. I actually went to um, University of Cincinnati and got a, uh, a degree in fire safety engineering. And um, and that's kind of where I got a real good background and deep kind of education of mm-hmm. fire dynamics. Um, and, uh, and then from there, started learning how the fire dynamics apply to the fire ground. Um, and that's been fortunate. I, I feel like I had a, a good enough vision to start to see where a lot of firefighters didn't understand fire dynamics. I was like, cause I'm, I'm always, I'm somebody who learns from my mistakes. Yeah. And, um, and so I started to see that, Hey man, I don't, I didn't know this. Like we chalked front doors open and that's a really bad thing. Like, why, why are we doing that? We never knew this before, you know? So, um, and that's the whole thing about just creating flow paths. And we didn't understand, like we thought we should be taking windows, you know, because, to get a lift and all those, all that stuff, you know, with coordinated ventilation. And I can right. tell you, I, there's so many fires I've been on where, you know, like as we're getting ready, the lines being charged, like somebody's going around the side of the house and taking a window, yeah, <laughs> like way too early, you know? Right. And, uh, yeah. And that's, but that's just how we did for a really long time. And, um, so, uh, yeah, so it's interesting now that we've been able to kind of change some minds and, um, but I just got, I dug in deep now with the fire dynamics. I felt like that was my biggest weakness. Um, I didn't understand it. And, um, and now, you know, being with those guys, it's still, there's still so much that we need to learn. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff that even Kerber Magikowski, like that's, what's interesting about the research is that, um, they don't have all the answers, you know, like we learn things on every single project that we do, right? Like something comes up and they're like, Whoa, what happened right there? We weren't expecting that. How, why did that happen? Right. You know? And so then they're like, we got to take the data and go back and take the film and, why did this occur? Why did that data piece pop up? Because we weren't expecting that to happen. And uh, so that's, I mean, that's what's cool. That's, you know, that's really what on governor's Island, that's where the steaming of the victim and Mm -hmm. the exterior streams piece, that's where they first started to try transitional attack was on governor's Island and governor's Island. A lot of people don't know that that wasn't even really a research project. That was 
the city of New York contacted NIST and UL, and UL was brand new. Um, so NIST and UL partnered together because Dan Dan Madrakowski, um actually was Steve Kerber's mentor at NIST. And Kerber was the young kid who was going through school and everything like that. And then UL wanted to create kind of a competition to NIST, and, uh, and they hired Steve Kerber. Huh. And so Steve and Dan had that relationship, and they, you know, FDNY calls, and Dan's like, hey, why don't you, you and UL go over there, and we'll come up there with you guys, we'll partner together. And um, they're like, we've got an island full of buildings, and we want to learn more about this research stuff. And uh, so let's come burn some stuff. It's pretty much what happened on nice. Governor's Island. And uh, yeah, so th- so the the one, you know, there's one burn that happened like with the exterior streams. Like every time they saw um, positive effects, water through the window, temperatures automatically decrease. It was just this was going to be the way. But then there's one fire where. And it's on video. I, I play it in my class because the fireman takes the nozzle and he whips it in a circle, just like he, he's been taught in recruit school, like he would do on an interior line. Yeah. So as he whips it through the circle, he makes a perfect circumference of the window right around the edge of the window. So he basically caps off that exhaust. Right. And he pushed fire back into that room. So there was like a 20 degree temperature spike at the floor, like 10 feet away from that window. And that's what caused them to go back and look. And then they went, Oh, that guy was whipping the nozzle. It blocked the exhaust, and that's where the whole pushing fire thing came from. That right. that one burn at Governor's Island caused them to dig into this whole other piece of how can we push fire? Can we not push fire? What's actually pushing the fire? You know, we know it's the air from the nozzle now, but really nobody had ever talked about air entrainment and the way that water droplets. What what's our stream doing when it goes inside the fire? And, where we should actually put the put the our streams should we put it on the ground should we put it on the ceiling you know all those things like that's what we're still learning that's what makes us better right. and, yeah uh, yeah re- they, they've recently pushed out more information about water mapping right and yep. when guys are like what does yep. that got to do with anything and i'm like well where you put your water matters how you bank it off the walls how you bank it off the ceiling where you know where you whether you uh you know have a straight stream or you open it up a little bit like it changes the way the water moves into the room and that affects your firefight Absolutely. So that, you know, so that's the thing, like, you know, we were taught that it banks and and goes off the ceiling and bounces down and it actually doesn't do that at all. And so it's like, whoa, wait a minute. Like, I I mean, there's IFSTA photos that you can pull up or IFSTA books from um, like when you and I went through recruit school and uh, IFSTA three, probably the third or second or third edition. And there's pictures of the water going off of the ceiling and bouncing down like tennis balls onto the fire. And, uh, and that, that doesn't actually work. That's not, that's what we thought happened because it made sense. Right. But what really happens is the water droplets actually surf across the surfaces and right. go and coat the entire wall. So they coat the ceiling and they coat the entire walls and they cool all of the gases. So it's surface cooling. We do surface cooling, which therefore cools the gases and it doesn't extinguish it. That's what a lot of people don't understand about the exterior water. And that's why it was called transitional attack is because you still have to go in and extinguish the base of the fire. Like it's going right. to knock down 90% of it, right. but it's not going to completely extinguish it. That bed's still going to be burning in that bedroom. You still got to get in there with a the line and overhaul it right. and, or it will light back up. And uh, so that's, that's really where the term transitional attack came from. But if you've noticed, they're starting to kind of back away from that now um, because um, early on when the word transitional attack was being talked about, there was some discussion about, well, that's really a, a, 
a mode of operation. There's mm. offensive and defensive mode, and then there's a transitional mode. And that goes from offensive de to defensive. Well, that was really like a command thing. Hey, we're either in offensive mode or we're in defensive mode or we're transitioning. Well, mm. um, we use that as a fire attack principle, right? And that's where it got, that's kind of where it got a little confusing. Right. So um, that, now we're talking about resetting the fire, right? Resetting the fire, right. Or yeah. just exterior attack. Hey, we're going to do an exterior attack, like just knock it down and then we're going to immediately get to the interior. But um, so yeah, so you're starting to see that term change a little bit. I think you'll see exterior and, and interior attack. But it's important to understand that an exterior attack doesn't mean that you just stand on the exterior. Right. You know? Yep. So, yeah. So that's, um, so and, it's, and we it's, it's to evolve. what's really funny to me. And I'm curious if you experienced this in, in my neck of the woods, there's a lot of stigma with, uh, with fighting the fire from the outside. And this is, oh, you know, yeah. ancient stigma, right? And it's, I think we're getting better about this. And I'm curious, have you guys had to fight a very similar cultural shift? Yeah. So, um, so that's one of the things. So when I started teaching this class at FDIC, hmm. um, it got very popular very fast. And uh, so I became hated with all. <laughs> I mean, I, I, and so I got, I got a lot of haters out there, all these people who think I want to fight every fire from the outside, right? Which is not true. I just, I want us to do a better job and to get water on the fire as quickly as possible. And if right. it happens to be from the outside first, then that's what it is, you right. know? And well, so I just want to be more, more efficient. One of the one of the things that we talk about is aggressive firefighting, right? Yes. And I think that that a lot of people make the assumption that aggressive is synonymous with interior. Yes. Because no, we're absolutely. We're getting right. into the throat of the beast, right? And I'm, right. You know, whatever. Sure. But the idea is that we are trying to be uh, more aggressive and intelligent. Apply your your knowledge, skills, and abilities more effectively and more rapidly, right? right. In the most no, appropriate way. Yeah. If you can get past the salty factor. <laughs> um, this is, this is literally, I mean, this is a more professional way to fight fire, right? So if you, if you truly take yourself as a professional firefighter, that we are there for life safety, incident stabilization and property conservation, I don't see how you can't not follow the research in order to make right. yourself better, more intelligent. And you can be honest with you. I, I think you can be more aggressive. If you start to understand the research, mm -hmm. you can actually be more aggressive than you were in the past. Because you get it. Like you can search without hose lines, get behind closed doors. You can do all kinds of things that were like a taboo. We're never going to do that because that's not safe. Right. right. And you can do things because you understand what's going on. Um, and so, yeah, I think you actually can be more aggressive if you're intelligent. Yeah. Um, but well, yeah. I, and so, I like the fact that you tied that to professionalism because I think there's a, oh. and, and I'm, whether you're a volunteer or you're a paid professional, I think that the, the concept of professional in the way that you conduct business and the way that you carry out your actions is absolutely critical. Um, and, yeah. and the idea that you're going to you know, learn some stuff in, in, uh, in the tower, you know, when you're in probie school and, uh, you're going to come away with everything you need to know for the rest of your career and you're just going to cruise is, is absolute bullshit. Um, you have to continue to develop uh, your skills. Uh, right. And so what's amazing to me is, you know, I, I'm trying to think how many years I had on the job at the point when you and I met, probably 14-ish. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and, and we're having conversations uh, in my shop at that time that I had never had before. And my mind is like blowing up because I'm like, hey, man, everybody needs to hear this conversation. Um, and so it's really uh, fantastic that we're, we're shifting the paradigm. And so my question for you is, is how is this being received from your perspective? Um, I know there's pockets of it and you're saying you're getting some hate. Um, I don't know if you still are. 
but I no, I think it started to go away now. So okay. I'll give you an example. So um, I was the guy that wanted to fight every fire from the outside type of thing. And um, there were when the fire attack study happened, the technical panel of the fire attack study is like the who's who of fire attack, right? Ray McCormick, Aaron Fields. Uh, I mean, all the big names were on that were on the fire attack panel, right? And um, so Kerber asked a couple of advisory board members to come to Chicago and to just kind of be there to help the technical panel along and kind of explain research to them and that kind of stuff. Right. So he chose me and Pete Van Dorp to go there. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we get there and like, we're in the first meeting and stuff like that. And um, one of them like was up talking about and like, just got very theatrical was up explaining things. And I was like, you know, this is how we're going to pull the line and this is where it needs to go. And I'm like, they, Hey, time out. Like this isn't about host deployment. Like the fire, this fire attack study, this is about, from the end of the nozzle, when you open it and what comes out of it, how that affects the fire. It has nothing to do with, you might be great at doing a triple load or a, hmm. you know, a minute man or whatever like that. And that's what he was talking about was like these lines that they're going to run. And this, I was like, this has nothing to do with the research. Like I just kind of stopped him hmm. and uh, he's, he's a big deal in the fire service. And so um, people kind of looked at me like they couldn't believe that I interrupted him and, uh, <laughs> and that I, I kind of made him look bad. And so that even caused more hate amongst that group. But um, <laughs> yeah, but it's interesting. So like last week, um, I don't know if you saw, there's a recently published fire engineering article. So Ray McCormick and I have had many um, disagreements and conversations over the years. Mm-hmm. And uh, and he straight up said, I'll never put water in a window from the outside. That's not going to happen. Not, it never happened. Mm. And then he's on the fire attack panel. So him and I went back and forth at it on social media because he was on the technical panel. He would say things that were coming out about the fire attack study. I'm like, that's not true. Hashtag fake news. And I would like <laughs> all this stuff on Twitter. We'd have all these Twitter battles, right? Yeah. And uh, and I was, I was just trying to keep them all in line, like keep them in check, right? And say that's research. That's that, it doesn't say that, you know. Especially the, that the big thing was pushing fire. The topic was pushing fire, and well, so everybody thought that if you put water through the window, you're going to push fire. Right. And, uh, Let me just add to that real quick that the, the interesting thing about what you're talking about is we, we talk about data collection and research and science. And it's something that, you know, we uh, in the fire service, generally speaking, we run off of gut, right? Well, what have I seen before? What's intuitive to me based on my experiences? And, and that's what I love about what we're doing here um, is that we're allowing the research to help inform what we're doing. But we we have to we got to pay attention to it. And, and figure oh, yeah. out how to employ it, right? If we if we're just like, well, this rubs, this goes against what I think I, uh, what I've, what I know in my set of experiences. But you know, the laws of physics exist, and and they drive a lot of what we do, despite what you intuitively think you may or may not have experienced or know. Right. So no, that's that's the thing. So it, there's a new article out by Ray McCormick, and. He specifically talks about water through the window. There's drawings and everything. He's come and around, like, huh? <laughs> and so I was like, look at that. Like, here here we are, you know, five years. He's retired now, but he's, he's uh, but we're five years past the fire attack study. Right. And he's finally coming forward and saying, hey, I agree with exterior water. Yeah. And which is something that I was like just blown away by. When I got the picture, somebody sent me a photo of it and all these drawings. I was like, whoa, look at that. It's in the... March 2021 edition of Fire Engineering Magazine. And um, he's got, I don't know the name of the article, but he's got all these drawings of when, if flames are showing on the alpha side, out a window, nozzle should go to that window. 
and extinguish a fire mm-hmm. if they're uh, if they're showing on even on the second floor and they can reach it you should be able you should be able to reach it he's talking about scrub areas with the nozzle and stuff um but if you don't have flames showing out of a window then you should go to the interior which i agree with 100 that's what i've been saying for all these years with attacks on the bird side like that's what we we're talking about and uh so but it's just always a big disagreement with those guys and i think they finally the research there's just so much evidence that it's very hard to disagree with mm-hmm. and uh and so that's the thing like i i think you should match your experience with the evidence and then take make it make yourself better with that you yeah. know what i mean like and uh and our experience like look, look, there's plenty of times where my experience was wrong the things that i saw with my eyes that i thought i understood like for, so let's just talk vertical ventilation i've been on plenty of fires where vertical ventilation especially on the west coast um, you know, West Coast style, everybody, they're cutting roofs right and left, yep. right? 100%. And so I've been on the interior where I saw the lift of smoke and yep. I felt it get cooler. And I saw the advantages of vertical ventilation. So forever, I thought that that should be the way to go, right? And then UL comes out and says, venting doesn't equal cooling. And I was, I was, I was the first one to throw the bullshit flag. And I'm like, I've seen it. I've felt it. It absolutely does. Yeah. But when you think about the fire dynamics of what's occurring is really what that vertical vent hole is doing is it's changing the flow path. The flow right. path was coming over top of your head, a fire attack in that hallway. And then they took the truck crew, took that flow path off of you. Yep. So you were getting convective and radiant heat right. on beating you down and it's now going out the roof. Yeah. So, you're, so you're getting yeah. cooling, but it's localized. That's right. You know, that's exactly. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's funny. And that's why it's so important. We, I think it's so interesting that we, when we start talking about science and, and our own experiences, we allow our ego to get in the way a little bit and we have to get curious. Like, sure. huh, what, why is this research different than what I thought I understood? We have to allow yeah. room for that, man. That's a big deal. And yeah. Uh, and, and so you know. back, so to go back, circle back to the yeah. question, like within my own department. So we definitely have made um, some huge changes within my department. I think there's definitely some people that are out there, a small group of people who are like, screw that. I'm never doing that. You know, they try to be salty in certain areas, certain stations, certain shifts, that kind of thing. But I would say for the majority of our departments, um, I mean, we teach it in our recruit school. So the young kids coming out, they know door control. They know exterior attack. They know stream angles. They know water mapping. They know all that stuff because we're teaching it to them in recruit school. Right. Right. So, um, so yeah, so our department I think has gotten better and that's where we really tried to attack it from was from the new guys and uh, getting that message out there. Then we had to circle back and because it was the information was getting out there and there's guys that had 10 years on and they're like, hey, why is this new kid telling me about this? How come I didn't get that information? <laughs> so then we had to circle back with kind of monthly training and that kind of stuff. And But hell, I just had a, uh, a battalion chief call me this last week and uh, the next battalion over from me and my engine actually went to the fire, but um, or my truck didn't. So I, uh, it was a uh, 80% involved uh, residential fire and uh, a couple of cars burned in the driveway. And this thing is like completely burning. And uh, the, one of the engines put a deck gun on it and, uh, and just started trying to knock it down. Like, hey, let's just do a blitz attack and let's start yeah. knocking this down. So there was a crew that was around the Charlie side when they did that. And there was a basement. And they could see smoke in the basement. Like they had put lights through the windows. They hadn't broken any windows, nothing on the backside yet. But they saw as the deck gun was hitting the fire, the basement lit off. And oh. flames started started mixing. So the gases started mixing in the basement with the air from the deck put, gun. Yeah, they're pushing a bunch right? of air in, yeah. 
but it didn't it didn't sustain the burning went away like as soon as they stopped with the deck gun and moved it to a different area all that went away huh. and so the battalion chief calls me and he's like hey so what do you think about air entrainment from a deck gun and i'm like oh man it's gonna be a lot and i said but um i said we haven't really tested anything like that yet but they i know that there was some questions about it when we did the coordinated attack study on strip mall fires and using those large streams and deck guns and so there was a, a question of exactly how much air is being entrained and we don't we don't know that we don't have that answer yet but i was like oh it's definitely possible and uh, and that's the great thing about having the connections that i have is like hey let me just text dan you know so i text dan magikowski and give him the scenario and he's like oh yeah so the, the basement keep burning and i was like no it didn't keep burning he's like that's because there was no opening to it and just caused pushed air down in there and caused the gases to mix and it did light off and so now that battalion chief has already sent an email to his battalion he's like no more blitz attacks on residential fires not gonna happen like take a hand line get close to it and start putting it on if you got to pull a two and a half or put a ram or something like that but we're not going to put a large stream like that on a residential fire wow. so and that that's you know that's first example a perfect example of now we're starting to learn and understand because 10 years ago nobody in my department would ever have noticed that right <laughs> that, that happening in the basement right but yeah we're, we're more educated on fire behavior and fire dynamics now and go oh whoa why did that happen you right. know and, yep. so, and then uh, you know and then we get phone calls and videos and pictures and all that kind of stuff of these fires and so now we have we're adjusting our tactics based off of things we've done in the past which so now I'm thinking like, hey man, maybe blitz attack. Maybe we need to reevaluate blitz attacks. You know, like get a, get a little bit more information out there. So yeah. yeah, and those are that's all still in the books. I mean, blitz attacks is still in if they're right now. Yep, yep. It's it's you know, and there's probably a time and a place where it's appropriate. Um, sure. It, but it's a matter of understanding when and where, right? That's the yeah. thing. The thing that's interesting to me is that there's there's so many variables on the fire ground that uh, that is the the absolutes that people use. Like, this is my tool. I'm taking this one tool because it works 100% yes. of the time. And I'm like, mm, hold on. It worked the 100% of the times that you tried it, but 101 times uh, you might sure. have some different variables that present themselves. Uh, yeah. And that's, you know, we have a, there's a story that's very similar to the one that you told me about your own experience. We had a, a, a crew on in our neck of the woods who, uh, who had a, a wind-driven fire same thing. They opened the front door. It became a, an exhaust portal. Uh, and they had fought fires in, in all these houses that are very similar for years. Very good crew by all accounts. Um, you know, they made entry and were had, had zero impact. Couldn't see any fire. Ripping heat. And, uh, and you know, they ended up getting burned. And the, um, you know, you look at that and you go, wow, that's the variables on this particular incident. Just a little bit different. And it, right. and it you know, it bit us in the, it bit us in the butt because we weren't able to, you know, we didn't identify it soon enough. So it's, uh, you know, it's great because we're, we're beginning to learn that uh, systemically, you know, across the fire service, people are beginning to understand that better, which is fantastic. So what do you, what do you make of the, uh, you know, the big, the great debate that I feel is kind of raging right now is the smooth bore versus, uh, versus fog nozzle. Yeah. So, um, and that's especially the West coast, like that's a big deal on the West coast. Right. So we have, we've gotten past that within my department. We, uh, we now have, uh, one cross size of smooth bore, one cross size of fog, because if you want to, if you're a fog guy, then you got your choice. You pull the yellow line. If you're a smooth bore guy, then you pull the red line, you know? Yeah. And, uh, so, um, we as a department have gotten past that. Now the fire attack study, um, it, 
it shows that there's really not, I mean, there's not a benefit to either one. Like there's nothing that stands out. Like it's really a personal preference. Right. So that smoothbore fog debate has been there for a very long time. The smoothbore guys are going to say, oh, I get more reach and more penetration with smoothbore. Right. And then, but now the fog nozzles that are being developed, they have just as much reach and just as much penetration. And so I, I can't really say that uh, there's an advantage to either one. Yeah. I mean, they're both good. They both work. They both put out fire. It's about getting the water into the right place. Um, personally, I like a smooth bore um, because I like the defined stream. I feel like it's uh, more of like a laser, if you will. And I can kind of, I know exactly where that water is going and I'm placing it. Um, but, you know, some people are like, oh, I have the fog because I want to be able to do ventilation with that. Right. You know, with your hose line from the interior. And we saw on the coordinated attack study um, when we did the garden apartments, we actually burned garden apartments in Cobb County. And uh, and I was on the hose lines for those burns. Um, I can tell you right now, hydraulic ventilation is fantastic. Yeah. The proper way of doing hydraulic ventilation and kind of moving the line and six feet back from the window at, a, at the right angle. Dude, we, I mean, I, crazy how much, how much air it moves and how much smoke it exhausts. So, um, and there, you know, that's the things like that we're learning is like, Hey, hydraulic ventilation works great, but you can do the same thing with a smooth bore. All you gotta do is just unscrew the tip on the, off that one and a half uh, inch shutoff and you go to like one third bail and you get a pretty good fog stream and you move the line up and down and you get just about as many CFMs as you would with a fog nozzle. So you can still do that if you're, you know, if you're a smooth bore guy. So, um, I'll tell but you. Yeah, I don't. I, I I would love to see on the West Coast though, because you guys are all fogs. I would love to see you go to some lower pressure nozzles, um, and get some smoothbores in play, because you're going to get higher GPMs. Like LA City is a classic example, right? Mm. They're still running like 100 psi nozzles. Right. Then on they have like 200 GPM, 100 psi nozzles on the two and a half. Like, hey man, if you put a inch and inch and a quarter tip on that smoothbore, you can get 325. And have way less pressure on that nozzle. Like it's a 50 psi nozzle, and so and they haven't figured that part out yet. It's just something that um, I know. There's a group of people that are working on it in LA City right now, which will be interesting to see if some of those things start to change. But yeah, um, yeah, well, I think it'll be like everything as we as we begin to understand it more. You know, the old yeah. the old traditions that we can are beholden to will begin to work themselves out as we. You know, and, you know, there's a big expense too. You're moving equipment and changing no, you know, hose lines and nozzles and different things like that get changed over time. Um, you know, it can be hard for organizations to to get get hip to the new technology or the new the new understanding rather um, when it comes to cost and all that kind of stuff. There's a, I will tell you though, I had a I had an interesting experience with a uh, uh, the city adjacent to ours uh, put smoothbore nozzles on their trucks, and I watched a. Uh, a firefighter trying to um, overhaul a palm tree with a with a smoothbore, and uh, he was getting blasted. <laughs> he couldn't quite get the the water to flow uh, as gently as he liked, and he was getting blasted by the water. Right. The back pressure right? it was bouncing off the palm tree, so it was kind of fun to watch. And uh, you know, it, they were new to these, so there's some nuances that he needed to figure out. But uh, you know, there's always uh, the downsides to every uh, every tool. <laughs> 
Yeah, no, I mean, that, that's the thing. So that's, there's advantages to both. Um, and so that's usually what I tell people. I get asked that in almost every class I teach. And so I'm sure tomorrow when I'm teaching my class, somebody will say, so are you smooth bore or fog nozzle? And I'm like, <laughs> it depends. You know what I mean? Like, I kind of like, I kind of prefer the smooth bore, but I can tell you that the fogs that we have, we have 160, 50 PSI nozzle uh, fogs and, and a 7 eighths tip. I'm getting the exact same GPM flow at the same pressure out of that line. And so I, can't i can't really say either you know um so i mean the one advantage that a fog nozzle has for us if you got a car fire you really need a fog nozzle to get any kind of foam on it right, right? you can't right. you can't do that with a smooth bore so that is that would be the one advantage to the to the fog nozzle so we have like on on our engine we're running a bumper line we got a fog nozzle on the bumper line so no i think um, it's smart to have the a variety of tools available to you yeah, no, like, absolutely. I think that adds yeah. that you know adds an arrow to your quiver and gives you the the flexibility to do uh, something different depending on uh, the the fire ground, depending on what the fire ground's telling yeah. you, what your size up looks like, and and what the the fire behavior is indicating. You need now in my class, I usually say I like I'm a I like my smoothbore because um, I want people to have the smoothbore because firefighters can't mess that up. <laughs> especially with, with with exterior streams right because you if you put that thing on a third year you fog and yeah. uh and with an exterior stream you're going to push some air into that structure and you could push fire right you could cause injury to a victim that's in there so i like it to be um firefighter proof if you will and yeah. it's just open and close that's what the smooth board is it's well, open and close baby you know <laughs> hey and that's that that is where it goes right back to hey man you have got to understand the job that you're doing and, and yes, absolutely. when and where to do certain things, it's important. You know, you look about when you're talking about, um, I know you mentioned the, uh, the governor's Island and when they, when the guy was whipping the hose around, I think yeah. it was a follow-up study. I don't remember where they did this one, but there's the, uh, they had the two rooms side by side and they did yeah. a straight stream through one room and they fog patterned the window of the other. And they, yes. you see the heat, it blocks the exhaust and forces those gases to find another low pressure port to go out so the, the right. gas is moving go right down the stairs and it just it just goes to show you that like it, no matter what you're doing it, the tool that you have is merely interesting if you don't know how to wield it properly so yeah that is a, a critical component of that yep no that that other one that's i know exactly which one you're talking about that yeah. was uh some isfsi burns yes um, that's right in south carolina Yep. And, uh, and Matrikowski and them were there. So, yep. um, they were getting some data and everything that actually was before the fire attack study. Um, oh. so they used some of that data to use in the fire attack study of like, okay, we need to show this. Right. So that one, that video you're talking about, I play that in my class cause it's classic. It's yeah. it oh, actually that's pushes a really like good one. Yeah. And you see, oh, they've got great, the, the, the thermometers right there. You see the heat spike up and you're like, well, there it is. And, right. uh, yeah, tremendous. Yeah. And when it, it, yeah. it's, the um, I have the opportunity to teach this program in our uh, in our recruit class right now, and it um, nice. it, it's fantastic, and it's so nice to be able to introduce it at the beginning of their career, where they're um, you know fresh, <laughs> and yeah. and they're able to go okay, I'm I'm going to go out and I'm going to see this now over and over again, and we're we're starting to see people um, much more effectively begin uh, begin size up the structures, make the attack. Uh, from the most appropriate place, you know, yep. uh, for us, you know, SOPs have changed and, um, you know, our, our codified documents have all evolved, which is fantastic. And, uh, we're seeing much better, uh, results across the, you know, across our region, which is fantastic. Yeah. 
so yeah, so actually just yesterday, I taught the recruits yesterday afternoon, mm-hmm. and um, they had this week was fire behavior and ventilation. That's what we we put those two together. So yep. they did get to learn how to cut roofs and all that kind of stuff this week. But we fire behavior and ventilations in this first week, and so I always finish up on the last day in the afternoon with a strategy and tactics class, and we yep. run videos. And I'm like, everything that we taught you this week, we're going to show you how to apply it to the fire ground now. So we. You know, just so like I do at FDIC, we basically play fire porn and like, hey, why did that happen? Yep. This when you you can affect the fire behavior with your tactics. And that's one of the p- things that people don't understand is that like you really can affect and cause some really bad things if you mess up and do some things wrong. So that's where the fire dynamics are so important on the fire ground and how you apply it, how you apply your tasks can change things. And so getting that drilled into their heads because they're about to go into search and then and the ground ladders and all that stuff like hey if you throw a ground ladder and you break a window that's a problem right and so and so we teach that at every level now that's what i tried to tell them yesterday afternoon is like you guys don't understand the rest of your recruit school you're going to go through and there's going to be little pieces of fire dynamics that's in every part of what you've been taught in search you're going to be talking about closing doors why do you mm-hmm. think you're closing doors mm-hmm. you know stay out of the flow path that's why and so um it's uh it's yeah it's just one of those things where we're starting to apply fire dynamics to every piece of our job now and uh and that's huge yeah no that's awesome man the uh it's everywhere and that's the the beauty of it man those fire dynamics uh are you know that's why we're there yeah. right is to, f- to fight this fire and man you got to understand the operational context that you're walking into and yep. uh, you know that part's so important and it, it, it ties into every every angle of approach and uh man it, it's such an important piece so let me let me ask you this um what is next where's this uh, where are we going so um so some of the things that are next right now is um trying to understand our training environment a little better. Um, there's, uh, I'm on the 1403 uh, committee, oh, cool. NFPA 1403 committee for live fire. Mm-hmm. And um, there's currently a TIA that was put up by um, a guy out of Virginia that's um, wanting to get rid of OSB, using OSB in live fire training. Mm-hmm. And um, so he, his, he, the information that he's using um, is accurate, but it was, um, it was based off of the training fire study that you all did. And so there's really, there's two different types of OSB. There's a type A OSB, which labeled type A OSB for the research and then type B OSB. So the type B OSB was, um, there was a, um, a large fire department on the West coast that thought that, um, a board from Canada, because it's a green board and, uh, and it said that it was, uh, you know, they use it in green technology up there, green, green building products. Hmm. So it was an encapsulated board. And so they felt that that was a cleaner wood. And we, they would use that in their flashover simulators. Well, it turns out that when it got tested at the training fires, it was actually way worse because the chemical that they encapsulated it with, that starts to break down. And it was like seven times the amount of carcinogens. Oh, nice. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, really, really bad. So um, the regular old OSB, which 99% of the fire departments use, just from Home Depot, is yep. perfectly fine. It's the exact same measurements as pallets and hay. There's always going to be carcinogens. If you have fire, there's always going to be carcinogens, right? But we're trying to, we're starting to get to that big health and safety thing where we're making this push for cancer and that kind of stuff, which is very important. But so that this TIA for 1403, that guy took the information from the type B OSB only. He didn't take the other information that shows that the type A OSB is the same as pallets and hay. He just, and that's the important piece about research and the data. 
you can always take data and twist it mm-hmm. to make a point for mm-hmm. you. So you really have to take the big picture. And going back to when I was having these argument arguments with Ray McCormick, that's what he was doing. He was cherry picking data. And I'm like, well, hey, hold on a minute, because because on the next burn, we saw this. And so, like, give us the big picture. Don't just take one little small point to try to prove your agenda. And uh, and that's kind of what's occurring right now with 1403. And um, but I don't OSB is not going to go away. It already got voted down, but he's uh, he's appealing. But we voted it down as a committee to continue to use OSB because the that we already have data that shows that regular OSB is really good. Um, so, but we, in my department, we started, we've been using this soundboard and, uh, mm. it's made, it's made out of uh, paraffin wax, um, starch and, uh, something else, not a chemical though, but it's very clean. It's all sawdust, sawdust, starch, and paraffin wax. Hmm. And, uh, yeah, so it's really lightweight and, uh, people use it like in basements and things like that to try to get a, a movie theater and that kind of thing. So, you know, the padded panels that are on walls, like yeah, in yeah. and stuff they wrap it in the fabric it's that it's the backing of that okay so it's it's very brittle but um so fdny was using it la county was using it and then we just started messing with it as well in our flash over similar about mm, two months ago and um it's got a higher heat release rate because it's um has less density than the osb does so you got to kind of figure out what you're doing make sure that you're paying attention to the fire because it's going to get hotter faster for sure right but um but man, it's it's burns really clean. Like going home from those burns, not stinking. Like for several days, like you do with OSB. Yeah. Um, everybody's like, like, wow, this is crazy. It's not in my hair. It doesn't smell like. So and, the and it produces board, enough smoke to give you a good, yes, good simulation so it, of flashovers or. You know, yep. No, flow it path, does. Et you can teach in the in a phase one flashover simulator. Mm-hmm. You can teach the exact same principles that you've already been teaching with OSB. The smoke is a little different. It's a little lighter in color. It's a, it's a grayish smoke, yeah. um, but it's still got the volume of the velocity on the exterior coming out. It's just a different color smoke. It's not as dark. Right. Oh. So that is the only difference. Um, and uh, I mean, so far, we've had pretty good success with it. And I think we're probably going to end up sticking to it. But um, what's crazy because wood prices are so nuts right now is it's actually cheaper. So yeah, that was going to ask you, what's it cost? Because it sounds fancy. <laughs> it's about $60, $60 cheaper per burn than OSB. Because oh. OSB is about $28 a sheet right now, I think. Mm. And uh, the soundboard is only like 22 So um, I know that when we did the math, it was about $60 cheaper a burn. Um, yeah. So that's a good thing, right? And so we'll see. I think you'll start to see because OSB is so expensive right now. I know um, for our FDIC hands-on class that we do live fire at, David Rhodes runs that. And he's already like, "Hey, we're going. We're going to go to the soundboard, and it's cheaper, you know." Yeah. So, and uh, which it works for us. It's easier to load. It's much lighter weight. Um, right. And yeah. almost like, oh, this stuff just like falls apart. So like when you're overhauling it and trying to clean out the simulator, you sweep it you out. Just, wow, it's awesome. <laughs> so it's, it's a win on every level. I, uh, Are they doing any measuring on, are they going to do any testing on carcinogens or anything like that? Do we know? So, yeah. So that's, so that is the next phase. So training fires because of all of this uproar with live fire training at the 1403 level, they are doing a second training. It's like training fires part two. Yeah. And, um, and now this soundboard is going to be tested in there. Um, and we'll have a much more definitive 
piece of um and gavin really wants to get more into the gavin horn dr gavin horn's running that part he's the cancer guy that does all of it he wants to get more into exactly how it's affecting our ppe and looking further into that with uh with dr kenny fent who works for niosh um they get super like it gets very technical with those guys they got propellers over top of their heads man they, sure. they're crazy smart so um yeah so i think we'll have some good answers on live fire training um i think you know there's hype on social media that osb is going away don't believe that hype that's that's not happening um osb is not going to wear unless we're going to start burning pallets and hay as well you know and uh and we'll see what the soundboard does too so that's kind of the next stuff uh dan madrikowski is working on some backdraft stuff because we don't really understand backdrafts exactly we have a definition of them but we don't really know why they occur in some of these buildings and why are they occurring in, in some of these like cockloft uh, fires that New York has had. They've had some huge backdrafts occur and uh, literally blow firefighters out of buildings. Mm. They're trying to figure out why that is happening. Um, so Dan's doing some backdraft uh, research right now. Um, search study is finishing up, um, which is going to be cool because I know you guys actually um, have been, if a door is closed, you go past it, right? Is that uh, is that correct? Are you guys talking about no, that's not a tactics? that's yeah not a policy on our in our next not a policy, yet. but you guys are talking about that, right? Yeah, it's a conversation so, for sure. Yeah, so um, and so that's there'll be some really good data that's going to come out on the search study about that, um, about victims behind closed doors versus open doors, and um, the distance away from the fire. It's kind of gonna. It seems like it's going to be like a time, distance, and shielding type of thing mm, um, that we can equate that to, and uh, so that'll be very very good information because some of the stuff that i've seen already like victims on beds really bad victim on the floor much better right you know and, and, and it even depends on how you drag the victim like if you get behind them and like do the traditional carry and bring them up like their head is at your chest level not good but if you drag them by the arm their heads down at the floor level much better Huh. Yeah, so it's I mean, going to change the way that we remove victims, right? Yeah, it's funny because some of that's very yeah. intuitive, right? When you think about it, like just the where the gases are layering and the heat is layering, etc. Like, yeah, you know, you're you know the survivability for somebody it, it really is predicated yeah. on where those where those gases are located at. Yep, and I think you're going to see there was some there's some early data that's out there about getting victims out of windows um, that it might be better to while it's a much more hazardous thing to do getting somebody to a window and getting their head out the window mm. is better than dragging them back through the house yeah. and exposing them to more carcinogens and temperatures. Right. And uh, so, you know, that's going to be something because there's a lot of West coast departments that don't even really do vendor search, right? right? They're not putting ladders up and that's for my department. That's something we do a lot of. We do a ton of vendor search. I wouldn't say it happens on every fire, but it happens a lot. Yeah. And, uh, and it's just because we, that's the way that we look at the, the house, right? We look at it as we have fire attack and we have search and what's going to be the fastest way to get to the victims. And so if we think that the fact the fastest way and we identify like on our search size up that there's windows that are available and there's searchable space inside bedrooms, ladders are going to that window and they're getting in there, especially if there's not a hose line in place yet. Yeah. And so guys hey, are we, getting in there and getting that stuff done. You know, we had a brilliant save last year. Uh, this, uh, great little two-story apartment you know complex and uh the initial attack crew was taking a hose trying to make entry to the front and it was blowing with fire floor to ceiling and right. uh, the engineer who was back at his pump panel looks around in the back of the apartment and there's somebody at the window throws a ladder pulls out a, a man and a, yeah. and a young girl 
who were behind a closed hollow door. And yep. the, and by all accounts, the front part of the apartment, it uh, per uh, per the fire investigator, it was like a like a volcano had gone off in this space. There was so much uh, fire load, and so much heat, and heat release rate was so high that it just melted and completely decimated everything in that space. But behind the closed door, um, they suffered some smoke inhalation, but they were you know they they lived. Right, and that then see that's huge, and so. That's where that's the next step that we need to get to as far as the American Fire Service goes. Mm-hmm. That public safety message of getting people to understand yeah. about closed doors. Yeah. Dude, because I mean I, I tell just you know, random strangers that aren't around the fire service stuff and you start talking about closed doors and you know, um, if there's that closed before you doze uh video that's out there. Right. If you play it they, they gather all the strangers off the street and they're like, Oh yeah, door open door open door open and then they play and then they then they do the burn for them and they're like oh i'll absolutely <laughs> sit in my door closed now yeah um, that's a very powerful message right but um and that's something that ul is trying to do is to get that close before you doze message spread out there to the public but i'd love to see it because we're still teaching some of our public safety messages is stop drop and roll still like hey stop drop and roll doesn't really work like that's an old message it was taught in like the 50s and we still have that well stuff that's out there you know and it's very reactive right like that's for when you're on fire at that point right like like, let's get a little proactive here yeah let's try not to be on on fire right yeah let's get ahead (laughs) of the problem if we can and uh, and you know the the uh, from a parental perspective my kids are grown at this point but i think about you know little kids like why do we leave the door open oh because they feel better and it's so that i can hear them if they're crying or whatever well buy yourself a baby monitor or something and close that freaking door uh, Absolutely. because that is, that is the ticket to, you know, compartmentalizing the spaces and, and saving people's lives. And I think we just yes. don't understand enough about it and, and, or, or sorry, we understand enough about it at this point. We need to spread the message to get everyone else to, uh, to appreciate and understand it more fully. Yeah, no, that's the big thing, man. If yeah. we can get the, the message out there and if we could get all the fire departments teaching that as a message, yeah, that's really, that's the next step. I think, you know, for UL is really trying to get that stuff out there because that's what UL does. You know, a lot of people are like, oh, well, UL makes money off all of this. No, they don't. It's all federally funded dollars. Right. Like, UL doesn't make money off of this. Like, right. it's crazy. I hate the firefighters that say that. It's like, no, they're actually dumping millions of dollars into this based off of grants right. um, from the federal government. So, right. yeah. Um, and, uh, but yeah, so that's the thing is that, you know, trying to get those messages out there and you also safety company, that's what they do. They do right. safety and, uh, and that's, they're trying to make it better to a better world to live in. Um, so, uh, I, I, you know, that's, that's, a, that's the future for us is trying to get that kind of stuff. But I think, yeah. like I said earlier, the research, as we do more research, we'll always find more things to, you know, like I, I remember one of the old heads, um, and uh, from FDIC telling me, because I was, you know, been so involved in the research. And he's like, you know, you really probably should ease back a little bit on the research. And, you know, that, that stuff's going to go away. You're going to run out of things to, to test. You know, and yeah, I was just like, well, Slow down so you don't run out. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> slow down. You may not want to jump too heavy to be on the research side of things, you know. And I was like, oh, oh okay. You know, and I kind of just blew it off. And then I thought like, oh, man, how long was that guy? <laughs> you know? <laughs> So yeah, um, yeah. yeah. No, but, it's great, uh, man. I think if we're, if we're if we're getting curious, you're gonna be exposed to new and interesting things all the time. And you're like, ooh, what about this? What about this? So and and it's important to ask those questions. Yeah, you, you know, because at the end of the day, our our job here is to figure out how to most effectively take care of the community. 
And, right. and that means we got to we got to understand the changing operational context. We got to understand how to to more effectively impact those changes uh, in a positive way, and more effectively take care of the the, the community that we're charged with protecting. You yeah. Know? And I hear well, people. And, oh, sorry. I mean, cut you off. Go ahead. No, great. No, I was no, gonna say. No. I hear people guys talk about making grabs and all that, and and I really appreciate the sentiment behind that. And so if you're going to make a grab, it's about being as effective as possible. It's not just about kicking doors and running in and swooping people up. That is just not yes. realistic. So much no. more, so much more to it. Yeah. And that's, you know, yeah, you can kick a door and, and go in and pull somebody out, but they're likely not going to survive. So you're right. pulling dead bodies out of there, you know, like right. making a grab, making a good grab is somebody's behind, just like your engineer did. One of somebody's behind a closed door. You got in there and got them out, got them to the fresh air. You know what I mean? And that's yeah. the, that's really the key is trying to do that kind of stuff. But, um, Hey, so yeah, go. Well, so speaking of, of community education and one of the things that, uh, that you have going on is the, uh, is the, uh, stop believing, start knowing. Yep. And, um, so how, I mean, I think it's clear what the message is there. Um, Yes. And, and so what, uh, is that something that, is that a project that you're doing with PJ Norwood or is that your project or yeah. no? So I'll tell you how that came up is, um, I was up there at UL and, uh, was doing the exterior, f uh, fire stuff. And, uh, we were out on the lab floor and had just done a burn. I think and we were kind of just out looking out of the building and things like that. And I was just talking to Kerber, like just kind of just random, just BS. And I'm like, man, where do you, you know, like, what's your goal? Like for the fire service, like, you know, I was just kind of asking him, like, what you're asking me. I'm like, yeah. you know, what do you, what do you, what's your goal for the fire service? You know, he said, and he's where the stop believing start knowing came from. He said, he said, if I could just get firefighters to stop believing and start knowing, I would be happy with that. And I was like, Hey, can I use that? <laughs> and, uh, so he was like, yeah. And I was like, I'll give you full credit for it. And, um, so anyway, so yeah, so I, uh, I, I, you know, PJ's always had been my buddy and I said, Hey man, I want to start this Facebook page. And, uh, He's like, what do you mean? I was like, oh, I'm thinking like, um, you know, we just play videos and uh, we'll do a lot of research based stuff. And um, and so and it's just continued to evolve. Yeah. And uh, but it can be, you know, there's been I've had plenty of people say they were offended by stop believing, start knowing. And they were offended by that name. And so that's why, like on F on uh, Facebook, it's just SBSK now. And uh, so just, just well, because was, was that an affront to their ego? Like, I don't understand. Yeah, <laughs> no, it was. Yeah, absolutely. No, yeah, it was, it was something that they asked to their yeah. ego. They felt that um, we were offending them by saying that, that they don't, you know, they don't understand their job. Um, but that has been very effective. So um, it created a lot of hate early on um, and some division, definitely between some of the old salty guys and the research mm -hmm. type of people. Um, but now it is all of the hate has pretty much stopped. Um, I mean, we moderated, dude, I can't tell you how many hours <laughs> I, uh, I was back and forth with people and comments and stuff like that. And we, we never blocked people. Like we're like, Hey, we're not going to do that. Like it's a free speech, like let them talk. Right. Yeah. But then we'll get people that will just come in there and just start trolling and everything. So now yeah. we will, we'll block trolls. But, um, but yeah, for the most part, man, we, uh, it, we have a hundred over 120,000 followers now. And, uh, I think awesome. we're the, we're the number one fire service page. That's just, that's not UL or that's not fire engineering or firehouse magazine, that you know, like those pages, like awesome. we're just a group of dudes. And so, and we have, um, now it was, it was just PJ and I forever. Yeah. But then, um, we had a couple other guys approach us and say they wanted to help with the page and, you know, like, yeah, absolutely. You know, so, um, so several others jumped in and then we have Phil Jost now who, um, he took over the reading smoke 
um, program that was out there mm-hmm. that uh, Dave Dodson did for years. Mm-hmm. And uh, so Phil Jose, who was a deputy chief, he's retired from Seattle. He took that over and um, he approached us and said, hey, you know, I, I love your guys' site. And then there's so much good reading smoke stuff. You know, would you mind, you know, give me some of those videos and that kind of stuff. And then and he was like, and I, I kind of want to like do some stuff with you guys. And we're like, yeah, man, absolutely. So now he like literally like every I think it's every Tuesday um, he runs a video and we have him down in the bottom corner and he's talking about the smoke reading that's on there. Right. So he's essentially like teaching his class virtually on our Facebook page. That's awesome. And, uh, and it's been very successful. So, um, yeah, so it's good, you know, that, and of course it helps him like getting his class and his name out there because Dave Dodson was, uh, his name's still there, but Dave turned the class over to Phil. So, um, yeah, so I, it's, uh, it's one of those things, man, where we, um, we still, it's always try to be a positive message. Um, and, uh, but it has definitely brought some hate, um, for sure. <laughs> like, uh, Man, we don't, we try to stay away from FDNY because FDNY is just like everybody loves FDNY. You play an FDNY video and there's some bad things that happen in it. It's like whew, people go crazy on you. So we try to stay away from those. Um, and, and I have some very good friends that are higher up in the FDNY as well. So we don't want to try to bash them um, by any means. But well, um, And let's be clear. Every yeah. agency, uh, you know, every fire has variables that go poorly. And, yes. uh, you know, we got to we have we have to be more uh, forgiving of one another. Right. Because these are dynamic incidents. And, and when we sit sure. back and watch a video, boy, it can we can make that thing go perfect um, from yes. the, the luxury of our our straddle loungers and, and you know, computers. So, yeah. Well, that, the thing about the social media thing, man, is, you know, like because of some of that attention that we brought onto ourselves. Yeah. I'll give you an example. So I went and I taught at FDNY and um at the training academy and uh we burned all houses there so which is for me an absolute highlight of my career right to be able to teach the new york city fire department fire dynamics yeah that's a huge thing so but um so when i got there uh first of all i got interviewed by the training chief ahead of time and uh the union somebody some of their guys had called the union and they're like nope those guys are not coming in here. We hate them. And just, and it was all, it was like a big deal. So then when we get there to burn the, to burn the dollhouses, we have union reps like they're standing over us, like, like goons, like mobsters. Like it was very intimidating, man. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> so, and they're standing back there seeing what we're saying. Right. So yeah. like I, we had to be very careful on the way that we talked and, and taught fire dynamics. And we're like, this, all we're talking about is fire dynamics. We're not trying to, change the way you guys fight fires at all we're just trying to educate you on that so um yeah but from there we had very good feedback um we taught a, a group of battalion chiefs and uh and then we went back and did a fire dynamics boot camp with ul and um, and had even more success um so um yeah so that's you know and that i think some of those bigger agencies like that especially the large urban departments yeah very resistant to change and uh and once they start to see that we're not trying to change the way they fight fire. We're just trying to educate you on fire dynamics, and then you do, you make the decision on how you want to fight fire. And uh, and that's that's where the things are starting to change. LA City, you know, you're familiar. LA City is like super old school, yeah. lots of tradition, and uh, and their fire chief, Chief Terrazas, is awesome. He came to the FDNY boot camp, and basically was like, "We're doing one." And COVID hit, so we haven't done one in LA City yet, but it's coming. And nice. uh, so that it's on it's on the books to go to LA City and do a, a boot camp, and uh, so there, then things will start to change there as well. You know, nice, yeah. Well, yeah. hey man, we we have to be willing to just uh, open our hearts and our minds a little bit to 
new information and and then hey man we don't have to adopt it but we do have to listen to it and and allow sure. it to percolate through our minds and 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 allow it to help shape and inform what we do you know and yeah. then we have to have a the word i like to use is honest right an honest evaluation about ourselves and the way we do business you know are we yeah. as effective as we could be and what are we missing it's important to ask that question man so hey one last yeah. thing um i wanted yeah. to touch on uh you turned me on to the dollhouses, and um, yes. I'm curious, was that your creation, or where'd that come from? Nope. So the, where the dollhouses came from was um, I kind of stumbled across them like on a YouTube video at, uh, I think, at the UL Advisory Board meeting, and Ed Harton um, from Washington, he's a fire chief, he's on the advisory board with us. And uh, so he was talking about them, how these guys in Sweden were burning these dollhouses, and they were just square houses. They've been burning them over there for years, apparently, right? And so he showed me a YouTube video, and I was like, hey, can you give me the plans for that? I was like, I'd love to try to do that. Yeah. And uh, he's like, oh, yeah. So he sent me a PDF of all these plans with these guys in Sweden. Yeah. And uh, so we burned the first one at the Metro Atlanta Firefighter Conference, actually. Dude. And as I was trying to develop the class, our current hands-on class at FDIC, as I was developing that live fire class, we burned one. It was just square. And then I met these guys from Colorado, from uh, Poudre Fire Authority, and they had actually burned one because they had gone over to Sweden. They brought it back from Sweden. So I was like, no way. You guys burn one of these. Hey, come to Massey and, and burn it with us. So they came, showed us how to do it, and then that's really how it took off. So um, the first dollhouse that was ever burned with me was uh, at the Metro Atlanta Firefighter Conference. Oh, that's awesome, And it was just man. a square box. Well, so then Jay took it to Connecticut and um a guy up there in stanford connecticut he decided that he wanted to change the design a little bit and he just said hey i'm you know i'm a woodworker and stuff like that can i make this thing look like a house like, what if i add an attic onto it We're like, <laughs> nice. well yeah like yeah we can totally do that right and that from there because it made it look like a house yeah it just took off man and yeah. so we have, the, you know, we have those build plans that are on our website, stopbelieveinstartknowing.com. They're free. We've never made any money off of those. Um, I, I look back on it now, and I probably could have been rich if I would have done that. <laughs> but my uh, my father-in-law, uh, he he was an engineer, and um, so he uh, Google sketched them, nice. and that's where those build plans came from. Because nice. we had it just all on paper, you know, right. fireman stuff. We had it on paper and crayons and. <laughs> yeah you know so but yeah matt palmer is the chief that did it up in connecticut and uh and then he he worked with my father-in-law to google sketch these things and um so we had you know cut pieces and cut layout and all that kind of stuff yep. and, um and yeah so i mean you burn them so you know exactly what that is but yeah that's what it came from now it's like all 50 states we've uh we've had people from all 50 states burn them and like 20 something countries that's awesome and uh well, oh yeah we dude i mean I get messages from like on Stop Believe and Start Knowing. We'll get a video sent to us and it's like Myanmar. I'm like, <laughs> wow, I, have to look up awesome. where, I don't even know where that is, right? Like, where's <laughs> Myanmar? It's like, oh, it's next to India. Like, <laughs> that's awesome. But they're like, man. yeah. So that, and that's stuff like that. It's like super cool. Like, you know, I like get, we get so excited to see things like that, but pretty cool, man. And the dollhouses, like, you know, they got beat up in the beginning, like, oh, stupid dollhouse. I'm not, you know, I'm not, all the tough guys beat that stuff up, but oh, yeah. it's a really powerful message. And, uh, and the boot camp, when we're, uh, when we're teaching and using it at the boot camp, people get it like that's what was cool about the fdny boot camp i got a like, captain of rescue one like talking to me about neutral plane he never didn't really understand neutral plane it's like right. holy crap like you know you're one of the most well-respected firemen and you're like a legend in the fire service and i'm teaching him neutral plane <laughs> you yeah. know so um well and that's the there's a ton of dudes out there with a wealth of knowledge but they just don't have the fire dynamics background yeah well the hate that we get on the dollhouse i think is is interesting because it's just about scale 
right? It's just yes. an experiment done at scale. So yes. I, I love that you can you can get on the UL videos and 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 watch the exact same behavior take place in a full size structure, right? Yeah. But but you and your organization at a training location, you can pull this down into a small scale, bring everyone in close, and say, all right, let's talk about you know do a lecture and then talk about the behavior that we're seeing that we just talked about, and it's easy to do and, and it works really really well and yeah, it's fantastic. We went as far as had a one of our guys' father is a uh, metal engineer and he, he whipped up a dollhouse for us made out of metal. And so we could re, you know, we could just fill it with uh, fuel and, uh, yep. on the, in the walls and then light it up. And we got a bunch of burns out of that thing before it kind of warped on us, but it was a great experiment. <laughs> yeah, no, the, so and, that's the thing. A lot of people wanted to make them out of metal. We've had people contacts about that. The challenge is the fuel, right? The fuel package, because yep. people don't understand that the dollhouse itself actually becomes its own it fuel. Totally becomes the yeah, part of the, part of the event. Yep. And, uh, but now there's, um, I forget the guy's names, but there's some guys out there. They just had the single cell thing. And now they've built a multi-cell and uh, man, there are so many different designs out there oh, that's awesome. um, that people have taken it off and just, and Hey, I, good. That's people were teaching fire dynamics. It's awesome. You know? Right. Um, yeah. But I look back on it now. I was like, man, I should, we should have patented that thing. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but yeah, wow. we didn't, and, uh, you know, it just, it's all about sharing, man. Yeah. Well, hey, man, I, speaking of which, thank you so much for, for sharing some of your time with us and, and of course. really appreciate the work that you're doing, um, you know, all across the fire service on so many different fronts, man. So um, tell me to where, besides the uh, SBS gay page, where can folks get in touch with you if they want to reach out and connect or see yeah, what you're so up to next? Yeah, so stop believing, start knowing. You can find us there on any social media piece, message us there. And we got the website. You can get the dollhouse build plans on stopbelievingstartknowing.com. Um, but then, you know, we have, PJ and I have the, our book, The Evolving Fireground. And, uh, and that actually has, that's called The Evolving Fireground Research-Based Tactics. That book has really started to take off and it's part of uh, many fire departments in the nation's now part of their promotion exams. So like it's, uh, it's on the captain, the senior captain exam for Houston Fire Department. Oh, nice. It's on the captain exam for Fort Worth, Texas. Um, so, I mean, there's some uh, San Antonio, it's on their, ca their captain exam. So there's some large departments that have, are really starting to use our book um, as part of a study guide for their captains, which nice. is awesome, right? I mean, that's huge. And uh, so PJ and I are just starting to kind of develop the uh, social media piece for that um, because I wanted to, I'm like, hey, man, we got people that are buying the book who are don't know anything about us and um and i want to try to help them like understand what the book is about so i want to try to like create some social media to kind of educate the people that are buying the book and, and the users that are there maybe it'll help them on their promotion process is kind of what i was thinking you right know? so um yeah so we have the uh the, so the social media stuff for the evolving fireground but um it's it's not much stuff is posted yet and it, uh, it's just because i just been working on my master's degree the last 18 months nice and uh, and I just haven't had time, man. To so get, you're busy. You know, to get I get that. it. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> it. Yeah. So, but I'm done with that now. So we need it's time to amp up the evolving fireground. Right on. And right. Uh, yeah, that's it. Or hey, my my email address is is ff sean gray, and it's spelled the Irish way: s e a n g r a y. And uh, ff sean gray at gmail.com. Email me. Happy to have conversations just like this. Rain. It's an honor, man, just to be able to talk fire for an hour and a half. You know, it's cool. I love yeah. it. No, truly appreciate it, my friend. 
Hey, that's all we have for today. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening. And Sean, thank you to you for taking the opportunity to sit down and wrap with us. If you are enjoying the Fireground Fitness Podcast, get onto whatever platform it is that you listen, subscribe, and this podcast will drop in the middle of the night when you least expect it. Furthermore, uh, get onto Apple Podcasts, get onto whatever platform, rate and review the podcast. Uh, it just helps push it along and get it uh, into more people's ear holes. Now, and the last thing, if you have comments, if you have questions, feel free to drop a DM uh, on any social media platform where you find Fireground Fitness. Feel free to email me at rengray at firegroundfitness.com and whatever. Whatever you do, take the lessons that you learned today, things that you heard, find a way to embed them into your life and be better. Now, go on out there and get some.